Hi everyone, welcome uh, to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host Nick Pollock. Nick, what's up? Eh, eh, yeah, yeah. I, I I was gonna say I, I think a lot of people could tell both between uh, the sound of apathy in my voice and that response that this is gonna be a little more somber edition of the podcast than usual. Uh, if you don't know why, uh, you should turn the podcast off right now. Just pretend that Penn State didn't even play football this weekend, because that's a much easier way to operate than to acknowledge the fact that Penn State went into the big house and got murder-killed by a really good Michigan team. And I'm not just saying that because they beat Penn State. I'm saying it because Michigan is legitimately an awesome football team. Final score, Michigan 49, Penn State 10. Um, Nick, we knew going into this game It was going to be rough that for Penn State to win, it needed to do absolutely everything right and absolutely everything had to go wrong for Michigan, which nobody was really expecting. Um, But, like, how do you feel after a game like this? Because, yeah, Penn State lost and it lost big and we all saw that coming, but I still think a lot of people were caught off guard by what a 49-10 loss at Michigan with some of the things that happened in this game is like? Um, I think for me it's kind of been... it's My emotions have changed with every passing like six hours or so, I'd say. <laughs> like, right after the game... Um, I mean, by the time the game ended, I wasn't as angry because, I mean, at that point it was 49-10, to 10, so it was more just kind of funny at that point. Um but I'd say seeing them kick the field goal, which I ruthlessly made fun of on the site today, um, seeing them kick a field goal down 28 points on the <laughs> two-yard line was just demoralizing to see. I mean, I don't know how any of the players saw that and thought to themselves, our coaching staff thinks we can win this game still. Yeah, like it's second, it's the second year in a row that Penn State was knocking on the doorstep against Michigan, fourth and short from the two-yard line or closer, and Penn State said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to kick a field goal here, with the difference being that the field goal in last year's game cut it to 10 or something like that. The field goal in this year's game cut it from, what, 28 to 25, if my arithmetic is correct? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, so I feel like, I mean, since since the game ended, I was I was – pretty annoyed for a little while um i've kind of mellowed out about it since then i I think on sunday i was one of the more uh relatively stable people on the site (laughs) when talking about the game uh just because i i know it's a it's a tough loss and i know they just got trounced in every form of the word and every possible meaning of the word but, I mean, it's still a game they were supposed to lose. Like, if we had gone into the season and said, all right, Penn State, they, they're going to be favored in most of their games. They're going to lose 49-10 to 10 to Michigan. Uh, they'll lose big to Ohio State. We, I, we probably wouldn't have even batted an eye. Like, it's, it's not an unexpected result. I mean, this Michigan team, I mean, we might not have expected them to put up 49 points before the season started, but that's what happens when you're playing a fifth-string linebacker, a sixth-string yeah. linebacker, second-string linebacker. I, I mean... Penn State really never had a chance in this game. I mean, Michigan's cornerbacks, even without Jordan Lewis, were good en- are good enough to completely blanket any 
threat of a Penn State passing game. And with Jordan Lewis back, they're just unfair. I know they lost Jeremy Clark in this game. Uh, but, uh, but, I mean, they, they could just put, they could put seven guys in the box every time. They could put eight guys in the box and still have the complete knowledge that not, we wouldn't be able to get anything going through the air. So, I mean, it's, it's a disappointing result to be sure, and it's disheartening, but it's really not all that unexpected. Yeah, and I think the thing that is so hard to do but is so necessary to do is we take coaching decisions, we take all that weird stuff out of it, and we just look at these two football teams. And I think going into this game, a lot of Penn State fans kind of underrated Michigan, uh, which I know is really hard to say because Michigan was coming in the number four team in the country. But think of how many people said, yeah, Michigan is good, but they're not that good. Or they're not worthy of the number four ranking. And that one of my concerns going into the game was that Michigan heard all of this. And they heard it from Penn State fans. They heard it from maybe some national media people. And they went, hey, listen, Penn State is 2-1, very easily could be 3-0. Let's go out there and let's send a message to everyone who is saying we are not that good. So Michigan went out, outgained Penn State 515-191, to just destroyed Penn State, especially on the ground, 326 rushing yards, didn't turn the ball over. Penn State turned the ball over twice. Time of possession was about 36 minutes to 24 minutes. It was just a comprehensive ass-whooping by Michigan. And this was one of those games, and again, we're going to put this into context here. Like you said, Penn State's offensive line is still developing. It's still getting, it is better, but it's still getting to the point of being a good offensive line. And it was just destroyed in the trenches by one of the best front sevens in all of college football. Penn State's skill position players, Saquon Barkley, the receivers, all that, are all really, really good. But the guys that Michigan has to make sure they lock down those skill position guys are even better. Just across the board, Michigan is insane. Trace McSorley is, again, still a younger dude going up against a defense that is going to come from all angles and try and confuse the hell out of you. So even if you have the poise and composure that McSorley is so praised for in your second road game to have to go against this defense in front of a crowd of 110,000 people that want you to just get obliterated that's going to be tough and on the other side of the ball I mean we don't have to rehab Penn State's defensive backs are good don't get me wrong they're solid to good but they went up against a bunch of really good receivers and tight ends and then the front seven got put in the dirt by a really great Michigan offensive line, by a really great Michigan running game. And it's a front seven that is still trying to get to the point where, you know, they had to replace three guys who went to the NFL, which we've said and we've heard people say millions of times. And the linebackers are, um, hmm, if we're they're, playing, they're there. Yeah, they're, they, they exist. They exist in this realm of existence. And if in three years Penn State's linebacking core from left to right, or two years, is Manny Bowen, Jake Cooper, and Cam Brown, I'm going to be really, really excited about what they're able to do. But like you said, Bowen is the second string outside linebacker. Brown is basically the fifth or the sixth string. 
And Cooper is, what, the fifth or the sixth string middle linebacker who only played because, one, the guy who was starting in that position heading into the game got thrown out on one of the worst targeting calls you'll ever see. And two, the walk-on guy who splits his time as a wrestler, 10 snaps into his into this game, tore his ACL. So everything that could have gone wrong for Penn State went wrong just from a football perspective. And then we get to things like the field goal, like some of the decisions not to go for it on fourth down. And this is what really upset me because... And this is something that Matt articulated on in his column on Sunday, I believe. The James Franklin that we all fell in love with, the one who at Vanderbilt turned himself into the single hottest young coaching commodity in all of college football, was a James Franklin who did weird things like you're knocking on the doorstep on fourth down, you run a handoff play out of a field goal formation to your kicker, or you go for two straight onside kicks because why the hell wouldn't you go for two onside kicks? And in a game like this, where we know Penn State was going to get, it was going to get pushed around, it needed to take some of those chances. And this was the big thing that rubbed me the wrong way, the fact that we just did not see Penn State take those chances. And I want to know what you think about this because I'm getting kind of angry right now. Yeah, I... It's it's really just disappointing. Like it, yeah. it doesn't make me angry. Like I understand that. I mean, yeah, James Franklin was awesome at Vanderbilt. He was so much fun to watch. Even going back now and watching some of the trick plays they pulled is tons of fun. Um, <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, but I I understand why he's not that way at Penn State the expectations are wildly wildly different even in a game like this where Penn State really did have nothing to lose and I understand that he I understand maybe the desire to be a little more passive and a little more conservative because you don't want to I mean things like that they have a huge payoff if they hit but if you I mean if you give up a field goal going for a fake field goal and get knocked back three yards and your holder or kicker god forbid fumbles the football then you probably have a fan base even more angry at you even though half of them now will clamor and say oh we want to see the more exciting i mean it's you can say that all you want but if it goes wrong then everyone will argue will potentially be even angrier about the outcome um but it's it's just disappointing for me to in a game like this i mean i wrote the optimist piece on friday and i don't know it just seemed like a really good chance for them to at least I don't know. Try an onside kick or sometime, yeah. or and like it's like I understand not going for trick plays, but not going for the touchdown on fourth and two when you're down twenty eight points. It's just such a passive and timid move, and it's just it's just disappointing. Yeah. And if you're gonna do something like that, and you 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 basically admit we're gonna turn this from a four score game into a four score game. At that point, at least let the backups get a little bit of run. Like, I know we're not trying to start a QB controversy or something, but Trace McSorley got whooped around in that game. If you're so convinced that the offense can't get those two yards, they're probably not going to get the 70 or some odd yards that it would need to get four times while the defense stops Michigan for the rest of the game so that field goal isn't for naught. 
So at least let's see some of the younger. Like, that's just, like, I wanted to see that as someone who, I, I kind of took that as a white flag. I mean, I really try to be upbeat and positive with James Franklin. Like, kind of what you said, if that, if uh, going for it on fourth and two doesn't work, the potential for your things to not be great, that goes pretty, pretty high. But, like, I, I, ugh. So I actually do want to challenge you on one point, and that is that you said that people would be angry if they took these risks and the outcome didn't work. I don't mm-hmm. think I necessarily agree with that because I think the, the big complaint that we've heard, that we've read, that we've seen is that this has just been such a conventional wisdom following team. On fourth down, you either punt or kick the field goal. You don't do this, you don't do that. And while I get the argument of, you know, if it doesn't work, that's a big, big, big boost for the other team and your team may feel a bit demoralized. I don't think people would necessarily be angry if Penn State took a couple of risks in a game they were supposed to lose by 18 or 19, whatever the spread was. So... I actually, I, I do want to disagree with you on that, but I think that if Penn State went into this game going, listen, Blake Gillikin's great, but no matter what, we don't want him to punt all that much this this afternoon. We want to see, you know, Trace gets us to a fourth and four at midfield. Well, let's go for that fourth and four in midfield. Or it's a fourth and short situation. We're knocking on the doorstep. Let's go for that fourth and short situation because what do we have to lose in a game like this, and, and I, I, I should yeah. clarify, well, I don't, nec- I don't necessarily mean that uh, if they had done those things against Michigan and they failed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Failed. Okay. I, I more, me- I was more talking in like a career sense. Yeah. That, like, okay. if, like if he consistently did those things week after week, and they, I mean, things like that don't always work. I, I don't, I don't know what the typical success rate of things like that is, but if they worked like less than half the time, that's the kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so more of a like okay. philosophical change. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, I mean, when we're talking about this game, like let me put it to you this way. What thing or things did you see in this game that made you go or, or are there any that made you go, hey, you know what? Maybe that forty nine to ten loss Maybe it could be a positive down the road because A happened, B happened, C happened. Did you have any moments like that, or was it, you know, just a lot of doom and gloom in the Pollock household after the game? <laughs> um, I if <sighs> um, I mean, one thing is that it's it was nice. I know Pitt's defensive line uh, kind of busted the Penn State offensive line a little bit too, but it was. I think going against a defensive line like Michigan, while they won't uh, face one like it until Ohio State, and then they probably won't face another one of the same caliber, barring yeah. I mean, uh, they'll their, face. I was going to say they'll face some good, like some good defensive players against like Michigan State and Iowa, yeah. but nobody on the caliber of you know what Ohio State and Michigan have up front. Yeah, the dominance of the unit itself won't be the same as. Right. Michigan's and Ohio State's. Um, so I think just having that experience of kind of seeing 
And I, it was a good barometer for the offensive line. Like we could really see, all right, these guys have been pretty good against our fir- these first three teams. Now we get a chance to really see how they hold up against a dominant uh, team. Um, so even though it sucked, I think it will provide the team a good chance to learn and grow. Um, spoken like the true third grade teacher <laughs> I am. Um, so I, I think in that regard, it's good. I also, I mean, some of the adjustments they did make and some of the things they had planned for this game on the offensive side, I think were good. Um, we saw them, I think there were at least two shovel passes to Saquon Barkley, which I think is a really good thing Yeah, for this offense uh, because... I mean, we've seen they haven't really been able to do much in the way of run blocking. And just a nice little shovel pass like Pitt gashed Penn State with uh, with James Conner. It's just a really good way to get Barkley the ball while already moving close to top speed and kind of get him a little uh, jump start there. Um, and then I, I really liked the game plan of getting Gesicki involved in the, yeah. in the screen game. I don't like that they ran the same exact play three times in the game. <laughs> Um, I, I was pretty vocal about that one in our Slack, but I, I liked the idea because he's so athletic that yeah. even if they do realize, oh, it's a screen, oh, it's all right, it's just a tight end. Oh, God, there goes the tight end. He just ran 30 yards down the field. So I, I like that idea of involving him that way. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, I, I, I do kind of want to actually, not to interrupt you, but I do kind of want to play off of that a bit, which is that Penn State had two receivers catch five balls. One was Gasecki, who kept getting, you know, these these tight end screens and these short routes over the middle, which is a really interesting way of using him. Um, I know that we've said we want to use him as basically a tall wide receiver, but getting him situations and blockers against guys who play in the front seven who he's faster than. I like that idea. Then the other guy, we have not seen Saquon Barkley using the passing game like this before. Yeah. Which, that's something that if Penn State goes back and looks at the tape and goes, okay, so we're not going to play a defense like Michigan again, but we saw what Saquon Barkley can do in the passing game. I mean, in the rushing game, 15 carries, 59 yards, not his best game. But in the passing game, 5 for 77, that's really good. If they're able to have, you know, games that don't include all conference and all American defensive backs, plus whatever we're considering Jabril Peppers today, and they're able to get Deshaun Hamilton and Chris Godwin and DeAndre Tompkins and Saeed Blacknall if he ever comes back and Penn State's other weapons in the passing game going, that opens up a, an entirely new dimension for what Saquon Barkley is able to do on the football field. And when we think of what Saquon has done so far at Penn State, that's really, really scary. If you're now getting him in the passing game and he's getting you know 15 to 20 carries a game and five to seven passes a game and he's making something out of those and he's getting one-on-one in space, that's... Whew, I don't even want to imagine what he'd be able to do there because that's scary. Uh, yeah. And the, yeah, and the other thing that I just want to shout out, um, other than our friends at Crimson Quarry, is Blake Gillikin. And Robert Bolden. And Robert Bolden, yes. Uh, Blake Gillikin, one of Penn State's keys to this game was to go in and take Jabril Peppers out of the return game. 
because Jabril Peppers is on a very short list when you're talking about the best receiver uh, return men in the well, the best everything in the country. They could play Jabril Peppers at left guard, and I think he'd be pretty good. But when it comes to return men, there are a few people as terrifying as Jabril Peppers. Gilligan went in his first punt. Uh, Peppers brought back 53 yards. Okay. He had five more punts after that. Gilligan returned one of those for one yard. And it wasn't because Peppers, uh, Peppers did. Well, I mean, as impressive as it would be, yes, I wouldn't I put mean, it past him. We could consider that. That would be something that I would like to see. But yes, Peppers, apologies for that. So let's just think of it this way. Blake Gilligan, a true freshman, went into a game where he had to be perfect. And he was just about perfect. So, with how Penn State has struggled in the punting game over the last few years, the fact that Penn State has a true freshman who's going to be here probably another three years, I mean, I can't, I'm sure there's a world where a punter could go pro early, but I can't imagine that happening with Gilligan. No. Yeah, exactly. He's already single-handedly changing Penn State's punting game and making that one less thing that the team has to worry about. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's – do you want to be a little more pessimistic for a second? Oh, why not? If there is one takeaway, negative takeaway from this game for you, what would that one thing be? It could be something on offense. could be something on defense. could be something with coaching. Um if you want to use this time to talk about less miles to Penn State, by all means, go for it. Uh, but yeah, what, uh, if there's one thing that you take away from this game that's a negative, what would that takeaway be? So first of all, I think you mean less miles to Michigan when Harbaugh, <laughs> when Harbaugh jumps to the NFL this offseason. Yeah, well, uh, I don't think we should say that too loud because if a Michigan man hears us, they're going to be all in our mentions. That's true. There probably already are anyway. Well, yeah. Um, so I guess for me, it's I know that not having linebackers is a major, major uh, thorn in your side when it comes to doing this one thing. But it's just, it's getting to the point where it's just, I expect to see uh, Penn State opponents rush for six yards a carry. Yeah. Like 326 yards on the ground for Michigan. No disrespect to. Davion Smith and Ty Isaac and Chris Evans and some of those guys they're good players but they're not they're not like all American caliber running backs they're just not and Michigan knows that and Michigan fans hopefully know that Um, those guys are fine but they're I mean Saquon Barkley is significantly more talented than any of them if you put Saquon Barkley behind that Michigan offensive line he he runs for 400 yards a game um but it's just really disappointing to see Penn State not be able to stop a rushing attack. And I feel like it's that fact is keeping us from really understanding whether or not Penn State's really understanding what Penn State's pass defense is. Because Temple is the only team that's really tried to throw on Penn State, and they did a pretty decent job of it. Yeah. So I feel like we don't ha- really have any idea about what our pass defense is. But we know what our run defense looks like, oh, yeah. and we know it is trash. Oh yeah. So and that's, again, that's discouraging when you're replacing, you know, guys like Austin Johnson and Anthony Zettel, who are so good against the run, yeah. and 
you're losing a guy like Jason Cabinda, who has his faults as a linebacker, but the one thing that he's really good at is when someone is running at him, he's good at getting in their face and stuffing them. And Naheem Wartman-White and Brandon Bell. And and this is the first time this name's been mentioned on the podcast, Troy Reader. Oh, no. Yeah. That, it's, there, there are reasons for Penn State to be bad against the run. That doesn't make it okay, but it is something that you're able to look at and go, okay, I understand why this thing is happening. Which sucks, but it, you know, that's that's just the case. For me, my big takeaway is that I would ha- have Joe Moorhead sit in his office and go, you know what we shouldn't do anymore? We shouldn't try and run a read option until mm-hmm. we until Trace is at a point where he's a little bit more comfortable tucking the ball and running. Because the thing with Trace McSorley is that when he wants to run and he feels confident enough to run, he can run. I mean, he's not going to bust you up like a Lamar Jackson would or anything like that. But if you need him to pick up five, six, seven, eight yards on the ground, he is capable of doing that when he feels he can do that. He got hit so many times against Michigan that I think that really shook him. There was one sequence uh, later in the game where Trace put the ball into Saquon's stomach, and he was just waiting to figure out what he should do. And after two seconds, the defenders were in the backfield, and they made it obvious that they were going to hit Saquon, and they didn't care about anything else. So he's standing there, standing there. The defender is starting to wrap his arms around Saquon, and Trace just gives him the ball anyway, and Saquon gets eaten up. Which, I I think that is just a psyche thing, and that is just a... I need to prove myself that I can run this offense the way that I want to run this offense thing. I think he'll be fine. I'm legitimately worried about this, but I think he'll be fine for now. But in the interim, I would just... The only time I would have McSorley run the ball is on design runs for Trace McSorley. I want to try and take the element of human error out of his hands because he has just not shown me through four games that he can consistently make the decision he needs to do when it comes to running a read option. And Uh, his decision-making with passing the ball has been pretty good for the most part. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's weird to see him make such good decisions in one aspect of his game and such poor decisions in the other. (laughs) Yeah, and this may be a thing that comes with more experience, like... The more frequently that he plays and the more he sees defensive ends are doing this and defensive tackles are doing this and Saquon's in this situation, maybe then he'll get to a point where he goes, you know what? I know what I could do. I could run the ball. And that's fine. And there's, I actually, before we move on to something else, I just want to take one second and give credit to Trace McSorley because after the game, when he was meeting the media, He apologized to Penn State fans. He said that was unacceptable. He knew that what happened out there wasn't okay. And that's a guy you can go to war with. And that's a guy who I know every game out is going to battle for Penn State. Could it have gone better? Yes, it absolutely could have gone better. But this is a dude who, I don't know if you've heard this, Nick. He won four state championships when he was in high school. He did. And he lost, what, four games total? Something, it's something ridiculous like that. Something like that. So he's, one, not used to losing 
And two, he's not used to losing in a way that he just gets obliterated. So you could tell this is really rubbing him the wrong way. And instead of... What's the word I'm looking for? Instead of being really sour about it, he's going out there and saying, we need to be better than this. I need to be better than this. We need to show these fans that we're proud to wear the blue and white, which is something that I, I took away as it, it made me a bit optimistic. So he deserves a shout out for that, definitely. Um, yeah, do you want to spend a minute talking about Les Miles, or do you want to ignore that completely? <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. I don't, I don't think there's any point in doing well, that. Well, I will say one thing about Les Miles, and this is something that Nick, I'm pretty sure, agrees with me on completely, and that is that Les Miles, as of right now, is probably, well, I don't even say probably, he is a better football coach than James Franklin. I think you will agree with me on that point. Which, I, mean, it, I, don't, which, I, don't, which yeah. I do want to say, that doesn't mean that Franklin is bad. It just means that Les Miles has accomplished a whole hell of a lot in his football career. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how much either one of them has, uh, what kind of effect either one of them has on like a game day situation. Um, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll say Les has accomplished a hell of a lot more and is a better recruiter. Um, yeah. So yeah I, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't mean that if Penn State were to can James Franklin and hire Les Miles tomorrow, Penn State would be in the better place. Because the one thing that Les, well, the one or two things that Les Miles does poorly is his in-game coaching. You talk to, talk to a single LSU fan about that. They're going to tell you that they are not always happy with the way that man runs the X's and O's part of a football game for 60 minutes every Saturday. Well, if your big complaint about James Franklin is that he's not a great X's and O's coach who makes in-game decisions that are questionable, you really cannot say Penn State should hire Les Miles instead. Because then you're just saying we're going to replace James Franklin with a guy who's going to do everything, with James Franklin. everything that James Franklin does, except a little bit better in a few aspects of it. So pump the brakes on that. One, because Penn State is, too, I think, James Franklin is two weeks to win two football games. If he loses one of the next two games, I think he's in some serious trouble, especially because I think Ohio State is going to go biblical on Penn State. But also, be, but if Penn State loses both games, there's a bye week that week leading up to Ohio State. And I know he's got himself a big buyout, but two and four with losses to Pitt, Maryland, Michigan, and Minnesota. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm worried about him at that point. Like, and he just happens to have hired a guy who was a wildly successful head coach at the FCS level to be his offensive coordinator. So there are reasons to be really concerned about James Franklin. But if Penn State is to make that move, whether it be in two weeks, whether it be in two months, whether it be at the end of the season, whatever, I don't think you would go with a guy like Les Miles. I think you would need to go with a guy who was more X's and O's. A guy who, in the middle of a football game, isn't going to do go, – go watch the end of LSU's game against Auburn and tell me if you are a person who really dislikes James Franklin's in-game decision-making. Tell me that you would be okay with Penn State doing something like what happened in that game. It would just – like, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me if you're going to make a move 
you would bring in a guy who's going to be who is no, notable for doing what James Franklin is known for doing. I think the people that are advocating already for less miles to Penn State are ones who just see less miles LSU national champion. Like they they're just looking at the very very surface level of who he is. Like a lot of those people probably have never even watched a full LSU game. Honestly, yeah. Like it. Yeah, I, I, that would not be a smart decision, in my opinion. Yeah. On a side note, I'm really curious to see... I'd be really curious to find out more about the structure of Joe Moorhead's contract. Um, because I know <laughs> I was listening to the Solid Verbal today, and uh, they were talking about how Dave Aranda at LSU, his contract had absolutely no ties to Les Miles at all. Oh, so, yeah, I believe Herb Hand uh, got, a, got a similar deal down at Auburn, if memory serves. Yeah. Well, I mean, they'll probably want to cut ties there anyway soon. But, uh, but yeah, I'm curious to see if like if Moorhead's a situation where, hey, even if Franklin's gone, we have a vested interest in keeping you on at OC, and we'll try to yeah. find a head coach who will oblige with that or not give him a choice. So, or yeah, we'll, just or side we'll, note, I'm curious. Or, or we'll maybe just, we'll just make him head coach. Yeah, yeah, which I mean, we we kicked around the idea in the Roar Lions Roar Slack. Just nothing serious. But I'm going on the record now. If Penn State makes any kind of decision, which I still don't think they do that. I think that there's enough reason for James Franklin to get another year no matter what. And a lot of it has to do with things that I think are outside of his control. Like the fact that he's down to three linebackers who Three linebackers, who none of whom were really supposed to play a big role this year, and a safety, who is now playing linebacker and new defense. Like, all the things that we have gone over in the past. My number one is Joe Moorhead. My number two is Chris Kleiman, who has turned North Dakota, who has helped keep North Dakota State as the juggernaut to end all juggernauts in college football. Three is Brent Venables from Clemson, their indomitable defensive coordinator. And then I just threw in Matt Rule because... I think we're legally obligated to include Matt Rule in any discussion we have about a potential next Penn State football coach, no matter what he does at the Temple University. Uh, but yeah, I will say I will say that um, I don't know where we didn't make a plan for this podcast, so I don't know where we're going next. But well, no, I think uh, we'll wrap up after this. Okay, so I will say that I hate that this conversation oh, is yeah. occurring right now. Um, I know Penn State just got beaten badly, but yeah. they got beaten badly by a team with seniors at every <laughs> position. Like it's yeah. there was nothing about this game was not, not a mismatch. Yeah. Michigan's strength is on the lines and Jabril Peppers, and Penn State's weakness is its offensive line, defensive line. It's a still new coordinator, still trying to find their way at Penn State. It's all sophomores and freshmen and a few juniors up against a superpower Michigan team with Jim Harbaugh uh, and just the enemy Tom Brown as defensive coordinator, which is just a yeah. is just unfair. Yes. Like giving giving that man all those weapons to blitz with and a secondary that can cover anyone. Yeah, when you, when you're any number to, of receivers. When you're able to turn all the two stars at Boston College and one of, if not the best defense in college football, and then you get to go to Michigan where your defense is 10 seniors and, you know, Jabril Peppers, that's kind of unfair. Yeah. So I think, I think talk about replacements for Franklin yeah. and all this stuff is completely absurd right now. And while I understand why people want to talk about it, I think that, 
I mean, if we wait a week, if Penn State beats Minnesota, wait two weeks, if Penn State beats Minnesota and Maryland, then everyone is a whole lot happier. And we look back at this Michigan team, who will at that point will surely be seven and zero, six and zero. I'm not sure when their bye week is, or six and zero. Sorry, not six or five and zero. Um, I mean, they'll look back at this game and be like, okay, like now I understand that this is a top five team in the country. And yeah. I feel like it'll be a lot easier for people to swallow. But I think a lot of people online getting are getting mad online are just overreacting right now to a bad loss. Yes. And again, I'm going to say what we started the podcast with. Michigan is awesome. I don't yep. think either of us would be all that surprised if Michigan ends this season holding the college football playoff championship. Yeah, I would. I, I wouldn't be too surprised. I think that there are maybe four to six teams that have a realistic shot at winning the national title, and Michigan is one of those teams. It's like Alabama, Ohio State, them, Louisville, Clemson. That may be it. The um, only way the only way I think Michigan ends up winning the winning the college football playoff is if they avoid Ohio State. And Ohio State gets beaten before they have to face them. Because I think Ohio State is a really, really bad matchup for Michigan. Well, I think Ohio State's really, really bad for anyone. For everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll we'll talk about this more Ohio State week, but Nick and I, if you took off the Ohio State jerseys and put them in basically any other jersey that isn't like Michigan or Notre Dame or Maryland or Pitt or Rutgers, we would probably love the hell out of Ohio State. That uh, team is I- awesome. I mean, I mean I, I'm I, getting I, to the point anyway where yeah. I just love them out. I was going to say, I'm, I'm with you, but the whole Ohio State thing kind of puts a ceiling on them. Yeah. Yeah. But, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, we can, I mean, I think the realistic ceiling for our love of Ohio State is like an 8 out of 10. It can't go full 10 <laughs> out of 10 where we are with, you know, some of the other fun and wacky teams in college football. You know what I mean? Like the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like the Jacksonville Jaguars, exactly. Uh, but yeah, again, Michigan is awesome. I think he, I'm doing this a little bit. Nick has managed to keep a pretty level head. We're overreacting a bit. We'll yeah. start serious. Like, we were mostly just spitballing and goofing around with that conversation about Penn State's next head coach. It'll get to be a serious conversation, potentially on next week's recap episode of the pod and potentially in two weeks on the recap episode of the pod. But for now, let's just end this by saying that we're going to try and not talk about the Michigan game again for a while. And we really, really hope that Penn state completely destroys Minnesota and puts all of this to bed. Do you agree, Nick? Absolutely. This is a good place to end the podcast. I think. Yeah. Awesome. Make sure you follow Roar Lions Roar on Twitter at RLR blog. Like us on Facebook, Roar Lions Roar. Read everything on the site. Subscribe to the podcast, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Rate um, us and review us. Rate on us and iTunes, review us, please. definitely. That helps us get a little bit of a boost and makes everyone love us a little bit more. Buy a shirt. They're really nice. Um, yeah. Is there anything I'm missing, Nick? Um, stay positive. Yeah. Let's end it there. Let's all try and stay positive, and here's to hoping we have a little more cheery of an episode of the podcast uh, next Sunday or Monday whenever we record the Minnesota recap. Uh, So, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. 
we all really appreciate that, and we hope to have a little bit more fun the next time. Uh, for Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Bye.